As we turn to uh, God's Word continuing in the book of Daniel, uh, we have seen he and his companions are continuing to seek to be uh, faithful in following the Lord while all around them, voice uh, after voice, is speaking out opposition uh, to them, to the one true God uh, in whom they worship. Uh, We've already heard in the first half of chapter 6, which was read for the Old Testament reading, the, the effort uh, the conspiracy and the effort to bring and tear Daniel down, and now his apparent dire circumstance uh, that he finds himself in in the den of lions. And the central point I want us to see in the whole of this chapter, in this text, is this. With a habitual life of praise and devotion, follow Christ through the crucible of faith and witness the wonderful resurrection power of God. With a habitual life of praise and devotion, follow the Lord, follow His Son, through the crucible of faith, and witness the wonderful resurrection power of our God. So we pick up at verse 19 of chapter 6 of Daniel. Having been thrown into the den of lions, verse 19, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel uh, in the lion's den. We've just heard one of the most popular biblical stories, uh, particularly among children. Daniel's companions in the fiery furnace, and now here, Daniel in the lion's den. And, And the question I put before us initially here is, why are these stories so attractive um, and, and popular among children? especially? Is it not because they require a bit of imagination? Something that gets easily lost as we grow up. 
men don't survive fiery furnaces or trapped in a cage with hungry lions. It's not, it's not our reason and the way we think about reason. It's not our reason that leads us to that kind of conclusion. Oh yeah, that, that makes sense. C.S. Lewis gives an analogy about this. He says, imagine telling a story to young children about three men standing in the middle of a street or in the middle of a road. And then you go on to describe what's going on uh, beyond on either side of the street. Then you return and focus on those men. But instead of saying there's three men, you say that there's two men. Well, you can be sure you're going to get a tug on the sleeve and a child ask, what happened to the third man? And Lewis says they won't be asking about the third man because you're being inconsistent in the story as if they're, they're out to, to get you in your storytelling. They're going to ask about the third man because they are in the world you've been painting. And their interest and their curiosity and their wonder are leading them to want to know, is this story real? Is this real? And Lewis concludes, far be it from us to stop being children. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18. Unless you change and become like one of these children, you will not inherit or see the kingdom of heaven. The story of Daniel here is real, true, but behind everything that goes on uh, that's taking place, and, and the points that I'll put forth here through this text, is God's desire for His people that we imagine, wonder at God's power, His ability to preserve life, save life, and to resurrect life. We're called as Christians to live in that faith. I mean, why else are we gathered but that God has got hold of our lives and convinced us of the resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself? The same power which lives within us. What occurs and is revealed in the sixth chapter of Daniel here is really representative of the whole life of Daniel, his whole experience of 70 years in exile. The lion's den, while real, can also be a kind of metaphor for his whole life and the life of every Christian. We live in a kind of den of exile in this world. And though Daniel faces real enemies, and we do too, the world, the flesh, the evil one, death, we do so by faith in a God who is able to resurrect life itself. We're to live with that faith, live with that wonder in that kind of God. The first thing I want us to see here in chapter 6 is the power and the offense of the goodness of our God. The power and offense of God's goodness. Throughout the whole book thus far, we have seen the power of God's goodness in and through Daniel and his companions. We see his good hand in preserving their lives, the lives of his companions, Daniel's, in the fiery furnace. We see his hand in the promotions of Daniel on a number of occasions from Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2, Belshazzar in chapter 5, the previous chapter, verse 29, declaring that Daniel shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Now from King Darius, lifting him up even higher, verse 3, saying, above all other high officials. All right, so 
a bit like a powerful flowing river, the goodness of God is cutting through the cultural and the spiritual landscape of this empire of Babylon. And God does that through His people, His power, His glory, His truth. And He's, of course, in particular, particularly using Daniel. It says in verse 3, he, Daniel, became distinguished above all others because he had an excellent spirit in him. That is, God endowed him with extraordinary wisdom and skill and industry. And the king recognized it. But God's goodness is not only powerful, he, here's a, a second point about his goodness, it's also at times an offense. The goodness of God is an offense to many people. Verse 4, then the high officials sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find none, for he was faithful. The story here of Daniel, hated by his, com uh, his contemporaries, plotted against, condemned to die, simply because he loves the Lord. He's seeking to be faithful to his God. This is one story in a long line of stories in the Bible revealing man's core sin nature and his irrational hatred. Cain, murdering his brother. Abel, early on in Genesis. Joseph being sold into slavery. Saul's hatred for David. And it really all points to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ by those who represent natural man. Why? Envy, jealousy, hatred pride, self-glory. But where does the point of offense come here in chapter 6? I think Daniel reminds us that, that the very objective truth that believers trust in, believe in, is itself offensive. Uh, the words inclusivity and exclusivity we might think about that could be helpful when our family uh, travels out west to Washington State uh, to see our extended families, we usually take a trip right into the uh, city of Seattle to Pike Place, Pike's Place Market, kind of touristy spot, active place. And, and Seattle is a fairly diverse and uh, expressive kind of city, to say the least, culturally, religiously, behaviorally. And like elsewhere, sometimes people like to wear those expressions either on their clothing or put them on their automobile. And I remember taking a picture of the back of one particular vehicle because it was just littered with so many bumper stickers. And I pulled up the picture, and this is, these are some of the bumper stickers. Vote for inclusivity. All cultures, all religions, all genders, all colors, all ages. They, had, of course, had the famous coexist sticker. Another one, thank God I'm an atheist. Interesting. Uh, atheism isn't a religion, it's a personal relationship with reality. Uh, love your mother with a picture of planet Earth. Uh, and then all you need is love. And there were about seven different versions of that one. Now, I'm not sure if the driver simply liked bumper stickers, didn't like his or her car, was going through an existential crisis. I'm not sure. But one theme that, that, that will emerge from people is the idea that if we just can work at it hard enough, we can create a world or a society 
where all views, all convictions, all cultures can peaceably exist. I'll let you discuss that later. But while Daniel has been peaceable, he has been respectful, living out his own devotion to the Lord, the point of offense comes not with Daniel falling down on his job. They probably would have forgiven him for that. Not failing to maintain that that excellent spirit, that skill. It comes when they learn that the gods of all the nations, their gods, from Daniel's view, are not really gods at all. That there's no other name or divinity that matters but that of Yahweh. The offense does not come because of Daniel's behavior, if you will. He was, as the Apostle Peter wrote many centuries later, gentle and respectful, as Peter said. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Daniel has been very much that way. Daniel's not thumping his Bible, if you will. It's not so much his behavior that offends, it is his fundamental belief. And friends, while we are not called to look to give offense, the Christian must accept that his or her faith fundamentally and naturally offends man in his fallen state. I mean, the God that you have come to love, the world, hates. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 5. That's our natural disposition at enmity with God himself. The gospel is not only very good news, it is serious news. It says there are eternal consequences to what I believe and how that belief manifests itself in our lives. However offensive Daniel's faith and however strong the conspiracy to bring him down, his way of life, his habitual devotion is what is unwavering. The words could be easily kind of overlooked, I think they make all the difference in verse 10. After the high officials conspire against him, seeking to tear him down, really by using his own strength against him, that is, his commitment, his faithfulness to God, what does Daniel do? Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, the king signed the document forbidding anyone to petition another god, with the consequence of the lion's den, it says Daniel went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Here's the words. As he had done previously. What a beautiful picture. Daniel has been in foreign territory in exile in Babylon for decades. However Babylonian, if we want to put it that way, Daniel had become, living in the culture, the customs, the way of life in general in Babylon, his heart, his passion, his hope was pointed toward the city God founded. The city where his temple and his presence were known. The place where God promised as he promised through Isaiah and Micah, that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established and one will come, a shepherd, to restore the people of God. 
it says a lot about Daniel. Though he's extremely prominent in the political uh, scene in Babylon, he's bold and uncompromising in what he stood for, where his inspiration came from, toward the place where God made his dwelling known. And we could put it this way. It was his devotional life that saved him. His devotional life. What would you do if you learned people were conspiring to take your life? I think my natural inclination would be get to the authorities. Contact the authorities. Sometimes devotion and prayer become kind of a last resort. When, when every other path has been exhausted. And, and though the pressure has, has dramatically increased for Daniel, it's his habitual devotion, like muscle memory, if you will, that drives him to seek again and again the Lord. So there's a very important point that comes through here about our habits as, as Christians. And we heard about this this morning uh, in Sunday school regarding uh, the call to a life of, of purity, how that's worked out. Uh, this is for all of us, but I would stress this toward the young people here, However, wh- whoever you are that you consider yourself young. When I became a Christian at a young age, it was a few years later, my seventh grade year, when regular devotional life began. A youth leader, not the youth director, but a youth leader had come to my house and given me a devotional book. It was called Alive Two, like this is this is the second volume. I, I have no idea what happened to, to Alive One. I don't know if it wasn't very good, but this is what he gave me, Alive Two. I'm in seventh grade, and that began every night, uh, a devotional, reading a passage of scripture with questions. That's been a journey now for 30, 35 years. Whether it is the habit of private devotion, public worship, fasting, fellowship and accountability acts of sacrificial service and giving, you want to begin building those habits and patterns into your life. Because you may find that to build them later, it's going to be increasingly difficult. And you're going to lean on something in in trying times. So Daniel has built his life pattern and form here, a life of devotion and prayer. But it comes at a high cost. The reason the high officials seek to trap Daniel using his own commitment and strength is because they know his pattern of life. His prayers, his beliefs, his worship of the Lord. This is not a mere private matter for for Daniel. His daily pattern would have made it easy to trap him. This is how they set him up. But not only that, the, the whole of Israel... The whole of the exiles are in a way bound by the fate of Daniel. If he is caught and executed because of his worship of Yahweh, what will it mean for the rest of the Israelites? The the analogy and connection to our Lord Jesus is, is clear. The fate and end of Daniel is the fate and end of the exiles. Our fate and destiny is wrapped up in the destiny of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. There's a crucifixion. And yes, there's a resurrection. And and how significant and applicable it is that as Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, 
God's way of saving grace here is not protection from the den. Sometimes in life it is. God works in those kinds of ways. But ultimately, His grace in this life of faith, in persecution, in suffering, in death, is not a protection from these things. It is His presence in the midst of darkness. What better way to communicate His divine presence in our lives than to keep us, not merely from these things, but to walk with us into the den, into darkness, into death itself, to say, I am with you. One author called this uh, den with lions in it, not the lion's den, but the angel's den. I thought, very good, very clever. The king says to Daniel in verse 20 and 21, Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you? My God sent His angel and shut the lion's mouths. Maybe that's a question in our heart this morning or at times in our life of faith. Is my God able to deliver? Is He able to deliver me from my worry? Is He able to deliver me from this gripping sin? Is He able to deliver me from my fears? from death. And what does Paul say? Now to him who is able to do far more than we could ask or think. Ask or imagine. He's able to do exceedingly beyond what we could imagine. Like Daniel, we are sometimes put through crucibles, fiery trials. Um, You may be in one right now. Uh, We would wish that life and and faith was mere sunshine, warm, sunny days. My wife is in Hawaii right now, uh, believe it or not. She's with her mom, her brothers. That's where they live. I got a a text a couple days ago, a picture of her smiling. She's on the beach. Uh, One of the images was of the five-day forecast in Hawaii. That hurt. 78, 77, 79. Meanwhile, I'm watching this while trucking loads of wood in. Not with 78, but negative 8. It's, uh, it's hard to imagine the state of Daniel's mind when he was thrown into that dark den. But as far as the officials were concerned, that stone, verse 17, rolled over the den, uh, secured his fate, his end. But there's no stone, there's no barrier, there's no weight that God cannot move or overcome. And six centuries later, another stone would be rolled over another den, a tomb, the tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the mind of the world, it's a stone that meant the defeat of faith and the end of life but it was a stone that could not overcome the power of God. His power to bring life out of death. And that power, though hard to believe, hard to imagine, that power lives in you. That's what Paul reminds us of in Ephesians 1. He prays that we would know what is the hope 
to which we have been called? What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. May God grow our faith. Fill us with wonder and awe at His glory and His power. His power at work within us to sanctify us, to hold us to Himself, to guide us, that we would know more and more of His great mercy and His great and awesome love. Let's pray together. Lord, how we praise You for the depth of Your mercy and grace. Oh Lord, how we can easily forget how powerful You are. All-powerful, omnipotent. And Lord, how we thank You that in Your power and mercy You have redeemed us. Redeemed us from sin's power and penalty. Redeemed us from, from ultimately from death and eternal destruction. Purchased us and brought us near reconciling us to Yourself. Oh Lord, may we know more of Your power by Your grace at work within us. Oh Lord, move us toward one another that we can encourage one another and help one another. Lord, in those dark places, those fiery trials, oh Lord, we as a, as a body live in this world, indeed in exile, in that den of exile. But we do so with confidence, with assurance that Your presence abides with us, growing us, using us, leading us. We pray that You pour out Your favor and grace upon us, Lord, as a people. Continue, O Lord, to be a faith-keeping God and grow us in our faithfulness to You. For this we pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.